Welcome back to another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and tonight we're doing part two in the year of polygamy. We're covering the second second plural wife of Joseph Smith. Now, again, when I say second, these numbers are a little fuzzy. There are some people that claim um, that there were certain wives here and there in the timeline, but I'm going to go with uh, the most... I guess, the most accepted, widely accepted list. And so if we're going with the wide, most widely accepted list, the next person um, in our polygamy timeline time would be Lic- Lucinda Morgan Harris. Now, this is one of my favorite stories. It, it's the stuff that Hollywood tabloids are made of. If you If you don't know, if you're not connected to the Masonic origins of Mormonism, it was a huge part of the early influences of the church, and a lot of the men and women were involved in Masonic rites and rituals. As we learned from one of the earlier podcasts about the Relief Society, you can look at the Masonic links to Relief Society in one of our earlier podcasts. Uh, even the Relief Society minutes has a Masonic prayer written in it. So our connections to Masonry are wide and deep. So let's talk about Lucinda Morgan Harris. Even before her association with Joseph Smith, this woman had a huge story to tell. She was married to a famous anti-Masonic martyr, a notable character in Nauvoo. And also, she was married to Joseph Smith at age 37. She was a mother, an early pioneer, and frontierswoman. And some say she, they left, she left it all behind to become a Catholic nun and serve in the Civil War. Although, I will say that there are some, some like uh, George Smith and Brian Hills, that think that there's no evidence for that. We kind of have ghost etchings of her life, because unfortunately, as it is with the history of a lot of women in the past, we don't really have a lot of their history so much as we mark their history by the men that they were involved with. And uh, that would be the case for Lucinda. But we'll tell you what we do know about her. Lucinda Pendleton was born on September 27th, or possibly the 17th, in 1801 in Washington County, Virginia, to Joseph and Lucinda Elizabeth Pendleton. Before we talk about Lucinda, though, I want to give you some of the background on her first husband, William Morgan, the anti-Masonic martyr. She married him at the age of 16. So this Morgan dude was born in Culpeper, Virginia in 1774. His birthday is sometimes listed as August 7th, but no source for this is given. So you can look him up. He's pretty famous. Um, media news outlets have covered his story. It's pretty interesting. He was apprenticed as a bricklayer or stonecutter and then briefly was a brewer in Canada bef- before returning to the rock quarry work in Rochester, New York. In October 1819, when he was in his mid-40s, Morgan married the 16-year-old Lucinda Pendleton in Richmond, Virginia. They had two children, Lucinda Wesley Morgan and Thomas Jefferson Morgan. Two years after his marriage, he moved for some unknown reason to York, Upper Canada. And this is where they operated a brewery. 
he had been described as a heavy drinker and a gambler. So his first business gets destroyed in a fire, and Morgan gets reduced to poverty. So he returns to the United States, settling first at Rochester, New York, and then later in Batavia. Now, this is where it gets sketchy. Morgan claims to have served with a distinction as captain during the War of 1812, hence the name Captain Morgan, um, though there is no evidence that he did so. Several men named William Morgan appear in the Virginia militia rolls, but none ever held the rank of captain. But people went around calling him Captain Morgan. The fact that he was really a mason is doubtful because there's no record of his raising or lodge membership existing anywhere, but it is certain that he did receive his royal arch in Western Star Chapter, in the Western Star Chapter, RAM number 33 of Leroy, New York. We have source evidence for that. Morgan created enemies when it became known that he had applied for a copyright on a book, on a book which was to expose Masonic rituals, secrets, and procedures. Now you have to remember that the expose was this big, I guess, social trend, literary trend in the 1800s. We see exposés in Mormonism. We see exposés on certain uh, business ventures. We see it on all of these secret things, and Masonry was no exception. So Morgan announced that a local newspaper publisher, David Cade Miller, had given him a sizable advance on this work to expose the secrets of Masonry. If they would have just ignored him, that probably would have been the end of the matter. But some of the members of the Batavia Lodge published an advertisement denouncing him. Several attempts were made by unknown individuals to set fire to Miller's newspaper office. So you got to remember, Masonry and these secret organizations were kind of a big deal, especially in frontier, you know, America, where these men were establishing this lodge, doing a lot of their politics, finding ways to feel important. And so this, this expose not only threatened them, but I think it also validated them in a way and made them seem like a really big secret thing. So they, they tried to set fire to his newspaper office. And when those Attempts failed. A group of Masons gathered around Morgan's house, claiming that he owed them money. On September 11th, 1826, they arrested him. According to the law, he could be held in a debtor's prison until the debt was paid. Learning of this, David Cade Miller, who gave him the advance, went to the jail to pay the debt. After several failed attempts, he finally secured Morgan's release. A few hours later, they figure out a way to arrest Morgan again for a loan which a creditor claimed he had not paid back. And for supposedly, I can't remember, stealing clothing or something like that. He was jailed again, this time in a different jail. On the night of September 11th, a man arrived who claimed to be a friend of Morgan's and offering to pay his debt to secure the release. Morgan was taken to a carriage that was waiting for him outside the prison. The next day, the carriage arrives at Fort Niagara. So this is where things get sketchy. Several conflicting accounts exist about the following events. The most common one is that Morgan was taken into a boat in the middle of the Niagara River and drowned. A man named Henry L. Valance allegedly confessed to his part in the murder in 1848, and his deathbed confession is recounted in Chapter 2 of Reverend C.G. Finney's book, The Character Claims and Practical Workings of Freemasonry. A little more than a year after Morgan disappeared in October 1827, a badly decomposed body washes up on the shores of Lake Ontario, Many presume this body to be Morgan, 
and it's buried as Morgan. They claim it to be Morgan, but the clothing was positively identified as that of a Timothy Monroe, a missing Canadian, by his widow. Freemasons deny that Morgan was killed, saying that he was paid five hundred dollars to leave the country. And there are numerous reports as this story kind of grows into legend of Morgan being seen in other countries, but none had ever been confirmed. Three Masons, Laton Lewan, Nicholas Cheesebro, and Edward Sawyer were charged with, convicted, and served several sentences for kidnapping Morgan. And uh, I don't know if this is an interesting thing to you, but I think this is a fun fact. William Morgan was given one of the first official baptisms for the dead in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's kind of interesting. And if you go to YouTube, you can find um, memorials for him. I mean, there's this whole legend surrounding this guy, okay? So remember, this is the husband of Lucinda. So let's go back to Lucinda, who the story is really about. I just want you to imagine what it would be like being married to a man of such fame and kind of danger at that time. Remember, she was a young girl when he was 40, had a few kids with him, and was still very young when all of this was happening. Three years after her husband's unusual disappearance, Lucinda marries a man named George Washington Harris in 1829. Mr. Harris was a former landlord of Lucinda and William and also a self-professed anti-Mason. She had a thing for anti-Masons, I guess. George Harris, he was 20 years older than Lucinda, takes her and her two children from her marriage to Morgan, and they travel to Indiana, where they would eventually meet Joseph Smith, who had just left Palmyra. Lucinda and her husband George join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints the fall of 1834. So Orson Pratt records in his journal that he baptizes George W. Harris and Lucinda. The following year, George and Lucinda moved to Missouri to gather in Zion with the rest of the saints. Now remember, if you have been paying attention and just listened to our first episode, and if you haven't, you need to listen to the first episode of Fanny Alger. In 1838 is when Fanny moves away, and they're starting to talk about these rumors of Joseph being married to Fanny. Well, in 1838, amidst other growing dissent and legal problems, Joseph Smith is starting to concoct this sort of brew of mob hatred and public, public scandal. Joseph Smith leaves Kirtland, Ohio, for Missouri. At the same time, George Harris, Lucinda's new husband, had become one of the prominent leaders within the Mormon church. And upon Smith's arrival, so when Joseph Smith arrives, Harris welcomes Joseph and Emma to come live in their home. Joseph writes in his journal, quote, We were immediately received under the hospitable roof of George W. Harris, who treated us with all kind- kindness possible. Here we refreshed ourselves with much satisfaction after our long and tedious journey. So the Smiths live in the Harris home for two months before living into a home of their own, moving into a home of their own. You're going to notice a pattern this uh, eventually. Joseph usually would choose women to be his plural wife after spending time with them, usually living with them. Um, and so a lot of historians kind of speculate that this is when he courted Lucinda and um, convinced her of the principle. The actual date of Joseph Smith's marriage to Lucinda is unknown and disputed, but is generally thought to have occurred during the two-month period that Joseph stayed with the Harris family in 1838. So that's pretty fast. For example, Sarah Pratt, a friend of Lucinda's and wife of Apostle Orson Pratt, indicated that the wedding occurred sometime during Joseph's stay in Missouri. After marrying Joseph, Lucinda continued to live with George. Okay, so living with the legally wed husband was 
typical of Joseph's other polyandrous unions. Now, remember, polyandry is when a woman has more than one husband. And this is kind of shocking to some people because, you know, growing up, we were told that polygamy was only to help the widows or the people that couldn't get married. Now, polyandry, I don't know how prevalent it was throughout the rest of the LDS period of polygamy, but Joseph would go on to marry several married women. So he marries her and she continues to live with her husband, her, cur- her current first husband. And it's uncertain if her first husband, George, was aware of the marriage. So continued unrest would force Joseph to flee from Missouri to Illinois. From there, Joseph sent for George and Lucinda to join him. From Nauvoo, Joseph wrote to Lucinda and George that he had selected a lot for them, quote, just across the street from my own. The couple moved from far west into the house Joseph secured from them across the street from the Smith's home in Nauvoo. So that would have been kind of like drawing his people close to him. George becomes this acting associate justice in Nauvoo, presiding over the city council meeting. And uh, in June 10th, 1844, there are claims of the dissenting newspaper, the Nauvoo Expositor, which has a fascinating history. They discuss uh, those issues in the June meeting. The minutes of the meeting record, quote, Alderman Harris spoke for, from the chair and expressed his feelings that the press ought to be demolished. The city council passed a resolution that directed the destruction of the press. Joseph Smith was soon arrested for abetting this destruction and was later killed in Carthage on June 27th. So, yeah, if you are unfamiliar with the history of the of Joseph's martyrdom or the Nauvoo expositor being destroyed. It's something you should probably familiarize yourself with uh, because I think it's not the typical story we kind of grew up with. If you're, if you just had standard Mormon history, um, Joseph was accused of like breaking the law a few times and trying to destroy this. Joseph's body was returned to Nauvoo. So Joseph dies. Um, and this is now we've moved up into the forties. So remember we have a whole period of, 38 to 44, where Joseph would marry a ton of women. And we don't really know of his relationship with Lucinda Lucinda and how that worked from 38 to 44. But let's speed up and let's go to his death on June 27th. He dies. His body was later returned to Nauvoo, where a visiting journalist described Lucinda's reaction to the funeral as, quote, Standing at the head of Joseph Smith's body, her face covered and her whole frame convulsed with weeping, end quote. Lucinda would later divorce George Harris and possibly convert to Catholicism, become a nun, and join the Sisters of Charity, where she worked as a nurse during the Civil War. There's this legend saying that she was last seen tending to Union troops at the Battle of Shiloh, and nobody knew how she died. Well, there are... Those who think, go back to uh, com. some good stuff here. And I will say that the evidence here says Morris, a Masonic historian, claims that Mrs. Harris, formerly Mrs. Morgan, joined the Roman Catholic Sisters of Charity and was a nurse in a hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, during the War of 1861 to 1865. Other authors have copied this statement. I have been unable to verify it from other sources, and the statement itself seems rather questionable. Neither the War Department records nor the records of the church contain any information concerning her. Furthermore, it has been ascertained that there were such requirements for membership in the Roman Catholic Sisterhoods as age, financial resources, etc., which would have seen that she would have 
been unable to comply with. Recently discovered evidence proves that she died at the home of her daughter, Mrs. Lucinda Wesley Smith, in Memphis, Tennessee, in 1856, thus rendering untenable the theory that she was in any way connected from the hospital service during the war between the states. While Lucinda physically removed herself from the main body of the saints to live with her daughter in the early 1850s, her feelings toward the faith in Joseph Smith prior to her death are unknown. So that's interesting. We have some conflicting things. Um, I believe that the source there was from William Leon Cummings, a bibliography of anti-masonry um, from 1834. So again, a lot of this is sort of legend. And it should be noted that LDS apologists believe that four of Joseph Smith's plural marriages are questionable, as if they existed or not. And Lucinda is one of those. So some apologists don't consider her one of the wives. Um, Compton's claim that Lucinda was sealed to Joseph Smith is not, this is what, what they quote. Lucinda Morgan Harris, Compton's claim that Lucinda was sealed to Joseph Smith is not based on an impressive evidence. Compton says that Jensen further, that Jensen furnishes a sympathetic attestation Though Jensen gives no date for the marriage and his source is not specified, Compton then adds weak support by quoting Sarah Pratt, whose bitter quotations in the late years were probably intensified by her interviewer, vitriolic anti-Mormon journalist W. Weil. This reporter exposed what scandal he could find against Joseph Smith in the Mormon Portraits of the Truth About Mormon Leaders, published in Salt Lake City, Utah, by the Tribune Press. In Wilde's version, Sarah said that Lucinda Harris had admitted she had been Joseph Smith's, quote, mistress before the Nauvoo period. Compton acknowledges this statement is antagonistic, third-hand, and late, but it claims it carries weight if revised to fit the polygamy format. But such upgrading transforms a smear into a sanalyzed recollection without solid evidence. Lucinda Morgan Harris should not be considered a plural wife of Joseph Smith. So that's according to apologetics. But... Again, they say that there's not a lot of evidence. I'll just tell you what they based it on. You have to remember that, like I said in the earlier podcast, a lot of these marriages, the evidence is not going to be some sort of county record because, first of all, these were illegal, controversial marriages. So uh, what we do have is an early Nauvoo temple proxy ceiling to Smith in the temple records. And so, you know, there are people in the church that considered this a valid, legitimate marriage. Then you have people claiming that she claimed to be a mistress of Joseph Smith, and people frame that as a polygamous wife. It should also note that they got married in 1838, and someone we're not going to cover because there's not enough credible evidence is in 1840, um, there's this rumor that Joseph Father's a Child, John R. Hancock by Clarissa Reed Hancock. And there's really only anecdotal evidence to support that uh, Clarissa Reed Hancock was a plural wife of Joseph Smith. Um, but as far as I know, DNA evidence disproved the theory that the child was Joseph Smith. So, oh, you know what? I'm wrong about that. They There are several people that they think could be children of Joseph Smith. They tested three of like eight children and three were not, but John Reed Hancock, whose parents were Clarissa and Levi Hancock, um, has not been tested as far as I know, at least as of two, 2007. So the reason why I bring this up is Joseph was a scandalous figure. You have, you have uh, 
accounts of Joseph in other towns, you know, stealing, snatching daughters away in the middle of the night. So people were suspicious of him anyway. So it's not like you can take every single rumor of him at face value. That said, just because the evidence seems scant as far as not a recognizable marriage in records or it's coded or it's hidden doesn't mean that Joseph didn't have plural wives either because, you know, if you look at all the context surrounding polygamy, it's very clear that Joseph was accumulating a lot of plural wives at the time. So anyway, if you want to look up more about Lucinda Morgan, I would suggest, since her records are scant, reading about her first husband, William Morgan. That is a fascinating story and kind of kind of interesting. It, you you got to look at her. She, she married young, uh, married a pretty high-profile man. He was murdered in a very mysterious way or disappeared. She remarries again, and then she, she attaches herself to another high-profile man who was later murdered. Yeah, she, we do know she didn't go across with the saints. That was very common. A lot of people didn't go across with the saints. Um, only a small amount did. And hopefully in the future, we'll get more evidence to shed some light on how she lived out the rest of her life. Did she live it out with a Catholic church? Possibly not. So thank you for joining us. Look forward to next Thursday when we profile another two of Joseph's wives. And we'll continue with our year of polygamy. Thanks.